if we can take care of patients um, and take care of its providers, but the system was never designed for the provider's well-being in mind. It was just, <laughs> divided. Sure. It's, it was just divided to provide care. So then we're left on the outskirts on our own. Again, which is absurd, right? right. It's like we're, you're, you're, a, you're a robot. My working theory of why I think so medical professionals shy away from this because they're they're shown this hugely traumatic thing in training about here you could you could work on the the mental health ward or whatever and and many people i think are honestly frightened to death by that scene folks welcome to counselors can help let's demystify the process of counseling we want to remove barriers answer your questions educate entertain and inspire you to action all right, we'll get started. Welcome to Counselors Can Help. I am Merrill Fink, Associate Clinical Mental Health Counselor in the state of Utah. If the show inspires you to see a counselor. Please call 801-525-4645 if you live in Utah. If you're outside of Utah, then please go to Counselors Can Help to get help with finding a therapist. Today, we have another installment of the professional series, and that is we're discussing healthcare workers. And I'm excited to have Jennifer George with me. She's an international brand the show is now going international. She's speaking to us from Canada, so very excited about that. This is where she lives and works as a physiotherapist or physical therapist, I think we say here. So she has plenty of experience in healthcare. And uh, what makes Jennifer unique for this show is she has spent a good deal of time on this issue. She's an advocate for patient care, and which she outlines in her book, Communication is Care. So very busy with a lot of different ways here. In her book, Jennifer discusses how to provide better and more efficient healthcare to patients and her own personal experiences, I guess, in that on both sides of, of the issue, right? So Jennifer also has her podcast called Healthcare Provider Happy Hour, which she regularly discusses with folks in the healthcare field, just like we're doing here. The podcast goes into ideas of what we want to discuss today, and that is the subject of healthcare workers and how they are doing really from a mental health perspective, which is my emphasis here. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Meryl, and thanks for everything you do on the show and, and just raising awareness and how uh, you know mental health therapy can can change lives and improve them. So thank well, you. Yeah, we're working on it. Um, yeah, we're we're trying to get there a little bit at a time. But today, I want to have the goal of be a conversation, much like you have on your show, the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour, which is more just a, a chat, I guess. And I find that not all professions, but many have a barrier to mental health, getting help. For whatever reason, there's a culture, there's a stigma, you name it. And I, I don't know why I never thought of this before, honestly, but mental health is a problem, I think, in the healthcare profession. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know why this never dawned on me before. I mean, the things people see and do in healthcare, it certainly lends itself to trauma those mm -hmm. kinds of things. So uh, it's definitely something I never occurred to me before. So I want to definitely talk about that today. The problem as I see it is just as I outlined this, the, the culture or the practice or whatever is kind of damaging in some ways to the people that work in the industry itself. So what to do, I guess, is sort of the thoughts and sort of paint that picture on today's show. You've discussed this before, I know, on your show, right, with some other folks, this kind of this right. idea. 
Yeah, I'd like to just try to pull from the last couple of years in which I've had these conversations with others, even more so lately. So for me, if I can just backpedal a little bit. So when I wrote my book, Communication is Care, I wrote it from the perspective for healthcare providers to recognize the intangible of communication and how that's healing in a therapeutic relationship for patients, to empower them, to lead with empathy and integrity, um, and how important the provider is to the patient's healing in their well-being as well. And I just witnessed that over the course of, of my life as a caregiver to my dad with chronic health needs was sometimes we would have interactions and I, I could just feel for providers because I could see that they were rushed or that they just weren't themselves or that they were just lost and started to reflect on that a lot and recognized that that affected patient healing and outcome. So after I launched my book in 2019, I touched on this in the book about burnout and things like that and how that impacts patient safety. I thought the podcast was then a good support for providers to better their well-being or have these hard conversations about their well-being and their journey to conscientious self-care and, and wellness and things that um, it would then in turn improve patient provider interactions for them as well. So it's always come back to that for me. But yeah, especially over the last couple of years, to be honest, Meryl, I don't even think I realized how bad it was until the pandemic hit. Like when you think of healthcare, like you said, you had you didn't even think about it. But healthcare, because you you know you see mental health care workers everywhere, but who's providing the care for them as well, right? They're people, they're humans, and we as providers have always been trained to put the patient first, and obviously that's the the number one thing that's the oath we take but if you look at the bigger picture um, and what's going on in society today and over the last couple of years we have to recognize that we are only human too and and we we have to have care for us as well and, and burnout's been an issue pre-pandemic and that i started this podcast just before the pandemic hit in october of 2019 to raise awareness about this um, so it's kind of more relevant now than ever though because rates continue to rise suicide rates are, are rising and um, they're not easy conversations to have, but they're must. And I think that's where we need to start. I agree. I think my strength is, is I come from this from many different perspectives. Uh, one is in aviation. So I'm a, I'm a pilot. So I see a very similar culture in many of these professions. And, and I see, and I've talked to other professions on the show to get an idea, a sense of what's working and what's not working. So that's kind of where I want to focus on today's show. As you mentioned, the suicide rates, I just did a, a quick look last night. I thought it would be higher, honestly, and I've always heard rumors that it was higher in certain different professions. Um, but all I could find was CDC data from US that said the, the nurses that it's on the rise specifically um, have cracked the top 10 in professional risk when it comes to suicide. So that's certainly discouraging. I think I've heard you mention other stats on your show that sort of build this picture as well. Yeah, in my episode with Dr. Joe Sherman, what I find before I get into that too, is that a lot of the stats are done on nurses and physicians, and there's so many other healthcare workers out there, but I think it's reasonable to kind of extrapolate. Women are more at risk as well. Um, and they're more than, um, I think it was two times more likely to die by suicide than male physicians or or men, which was very concerning to me. Um, and recently just read too that three to 400 doctors are dying a year by suicide, which is almost a physician a day. 
um, and that's a human being a day. And that to me, I just read that recently and it just really hit me. So it's this is him. certainly the place where it gets the worst, right? It's where it culminates in, in this kind of a thing, but there are certainly less stages of that as well. Burnout. I think you've mentioned that, talked about that in your book, uh, probably extensively on your podcast of just people getting discouraged and that impacting in many ways, their life, their professional life, their personal life, um, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Like burnout. And, and when people think about burnout and we, tr you know, we think about it at the individual level, but it really is multifactorial. So, you know, when you think of burnout and the components of it, it's emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and then lack of a personal efficacy. So emotional exhaustion is really when you just, when your energy invested starts to be less than the reward, or if you're just bombarded constantly by adverse events and you know, eventually you start to experience things like compassion fatigue and things like that. Women tend to experience more emotional exhaustion, whereas men, um, it's been found, tend to, to experience more depersonalization when it comes to the burnout spectrum. And depersonalization is when you're basically numb to everything, you start to detach yourself in a way you don't really identify people as people. Um, you start to think of them as diagnoses or room numbers. And we sometimes do that casually, but we are aware of that. Um, but I think when you're at the point of depersonalization, you're, you're not as self-aware. And then finally, personal efficacy is when you start to think that your work has no meaning anymore. Like you've lost autonomy over your practice, over your interactions. And then you start to think, well, what's the point? And so that you think that, you know, you're not making a difference anymore. So why bother? And so yeah. you can imagine the cumulative effect of all of that. And then there's also moral injury, which a lot of people have been talking about lately as well, where you're kind of exposed to circumstances and events that go against your moral agreements. And we've seen that a lot in the pandemic with physicians having to make decisions on patients who are dying of COVID, let's say, and having to kind of triage them in terms of the resources available, right? So those are really traumatic experiences to be dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. We have so many interactions as providers over the course of the day, like hundreds of them, and they all have an impact on us in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And isn't there an expectation that you're going to keep it together, right? Right. Aren't you tough? Yeah. Aren't you yeah. supposed to hang in there, be strong? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the culture of healthcare, and that, that starts in medical training. You know, med students are so at risk for burnout. There's just these unhealthy working hours. There's emotional abuse there sometimes, right, that they experience. And so the training, like we have to go way back, like this, <laughs> you know, right. at the gra grassroots level. And like I said, it's in my opinion, it's multifactorial. So we look at the individual, we look at our capability of resilience and our self-care, but we also have to look at the culture um, and then we also have to look at organizationally, how can we improve practices? How can we, how can we bring people together to minimize the risk of burnout, moral injury, and ultimately mental health impacts that will result from the accumulation of all of this? Well, I'm just I, even thinking too of all the stigma, the, you know, you're, you're trying to be tough just as again, just humanize this. You're trying to be tough. Right? You're trying to keep it together. And all the while you're wondering, gee, does anybody around me think the same thing? They must have it together because they're not saying anything or I'm scared to say it to my boss or I even heard on your show and I didn't even realize this, that when people go forward for licensing, there's questionnaires about yeah. their mental health and who they've seen and all this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, Josh uh, made me aware of that, Josh Cutler. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I was actually surprised by that as well when he explained that to me. I, yeah. I'm not sure if it's the same in Canada, I gotta be honest, but I know in the States, that's what he explained. I guess we would hope it wouldn't be everywhere, but it certainly is is out there, I guess. Yeah. I can see it. I can sort of see if you build a regulatory structure and your job as you see it is to find, I jokingly call it the evildoers. You know, we right. have to find the, the people who are, I guess we're looking for the unfit, right? I mean, if right. you're a regulatory person, that's what you're trying to do. You're, but it's just such a, ugh, I just, yeah, it just makes me cringe that sort of thought process, like, I guess. So, so we'll, well, I guess we'll talk about that like as we, we get into the show, but that's kind of part of the, yeah. the stigma, the fear, right? Of admitting that you even have a problem in the first place. I've had a lot of conversations with people on the front lines who think other people have it together. And it isn't until they start to have these little interactions, even if they're just a few minutes, where they recognize that they're actually feeling more alike than different, how empowering that is as well, and how that actually brings us together more so and creates more of a united front in healthcare. Um, but we have to start you know, trusting people. And, and that's not always easy too, because you have to feel safe in the space that you're in to have these conversations to begin with. I guess from a mental health perspective, I was taught or learned about PTSD, right? So, um, and you go into the the book that describes all these disorders and it's sort of very much limited to a trauma, which, you know, as you, as you build the picture, the picture in the book describes something along the lines of war or car accidents or, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't really lend itself to a picture of a, in fact, I don't think it's even mentioned in there, a healthcare worker is I don't think in the DSM, I don't think it's even mentioned. <sighs> You know what? That's a good question. Marcy Resendez, a lady I had on my show who spoke about her experience with PTSD and wrote a book about it. She's an RN. I think in Canada now it is, um, or there's, I don't know if it's just like provincially in Ontario, there's something that now talks about it um, or that now includes nurses at least. But yeah, and that's exactly right. You've always, you know, you've always related it to veterans essentially people who've been through war in extreme conditions. But in healthcare, we're experiencing secondary trauma a lot, especially people in, in um, emergency services, EMS and ER um, frontline. And it's, and you know, like the speed at which things go, right? Like you said earlier, we just gotta keep going and we just gotta keep going. And for her, she had been practicing, I think for nearly 20 years by the time it she actually experienced PTSD. And, and that was what I thought was interesting is that it spontaneously came about for her. And I never, I get, I was just learning about all of this through her experiences. So yeah, I've yeah. had discussions with, I did a show on uh, fire firemen EMS and EMS came up as like, that's sort of just the, that's the battleground, right. Of just constantly coming upon or getting involved in emergency scenes. Mm -hmm. They're not good. Uh, they leave, uh, they leave an impact on the people that, that work in that. So Right. There's definitely that. And the other thing that I've, I also wrote down is I think how many times healthcare workers are treated. Um, mm -hmm. And this is something that I never really understood either myself until I became in the mental health field and, and as a therapist. This may sound like a complaint, but I don't think we're treated that well many yeah. times. I think in the, in the majority, people do and they understand we're doing our best in helping. But there's definitely that, again, another element of people who, who don't treat us well back. We do the best we can to help them. We realize they're in a tough situation, but um, that sort of treatment, again, has to have an impact on a person, right? 
yeah especially over and over and you know people will will say that that as well if they're employed by senior administration right like or even among healthcare providers directly there's a lot of toxicity i've always found it so ironic that in healthcare it's one of the most toxic work environments yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying like I've, I've always said this and and one of the things that i had a hard time with at the onset of the pandemic is when people were referring to us as heroes. I, I thought that was very detrimental to our mental health. And while I, I appreciated the gratitude and, and everything like that, um, I really felt like long-term that, that that wasn't in our best interest because it held us to a standard that to me was impossible. Okay. Um, you know what I'm uh, saying? When you think about yeah. the pand, you know, when, when, it when it came to the pandemic anyway, like the community involvement was just as is just as important as ours and we are really the last line of defense rather than the front line so yeah while i appreciate the gratitude i feel like mentally it made us feel like we had to be invisible um for some they felt empowered by it because i actually asked people how they felt by it but i also know that some people resonated with how i felt too around it yeah okay so, so that that mental picture was more along the idea of you've got to just forget everything else, forget your personal life, whatever, get in there, yeah. keep doing your work because that's what you do. And that's what we expect. Right. So yeah, keep, yeah, keep on going. Right. Yeah, and exactly. Oh. Just keep showing up and keep going into the line of fire. Really? Like, wow. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah no, no, that's a good point. I didn't, I had not occurred to me of thinking it that way, but yeah, that's, I can definitely see how it sort of ratchets up the expectation that you're going to, yeah. Just it, do, it, do what it takes at all times, right? Yeah, You'll be also, there. Exactly. And and that is our role to be there in the best way we can be for people. But it kind of, in my opinion, dehumanizes us a little bit because we oh. are human first. And <laughs> I think yeah. it's so important to recognize that more than anything. Right. Really, ultimately, the loser here is patient outcomes, right? If, I, if the person, if the health, if the provider is not in a good state, if they're just not mentally there, they're burned out, et cetera, that's going to bleed over into all sorts of negative outcomes that are, that are not good. Right. I mean, yeah. that's ultimately we're, what we're trying to do here is provide a, a resource and a service that helps people. But if the person themselves that's doing the helping is not there, that's not going to lead to good outcomes. Right. Ultimately that's what we care about. Exactly. And that's, it, it comes down to your purpose as a provider and your intention for practicing, which um, I would say most um, clinicians are, and most healthcare workers are, you know, they're altruistic. They want to, they want, they got into the profession to help people. Um, and we did it under the, um, the guise of thinking that it was that simple when it's really not <laughs> that simple. And even writing my book then, I don't think I realized the magnitude of, of burnout and the impact on patient care. And why it matters so much is because of patient safety, which is ultimately what we're trying to maintain and uphold. But self-reported errors do result from care workers who are not feeling well, who are feeling burned out. And rather than punishing, I think it's important to, to take that in and do something about it and start taking care of us as well. So now that we've talked ourselves into doom and gloom, <laughs> about how this is all all going bad. I think there's, I, I guess I have some ideas and some perspective on where to go from here, how to change this a bit. And I ran into one that I've experienced in aviation, but the the one that I've been started seeing more firemen lately, where I live, they've they've done a very good job, I think, of changing the culture among EMS and uh, fire workers to not 
be in this mindset of, oh, maybe something's wrong with you. Go see somebody. They've mm -hmm. pretty much as a collective unit decided we are going to now describe this as you will have a at some point an issue with this. This is going to happen to you. It's just a matter of when. So mm -hmm. let's stop pretending that there are people who don't have this. Let's make sure everyone understands this is a process. This is a career long journey of making sure that mentally you are with it. Mm -hmm. We're going to constantly check in. I mean, that's a that's a major culture shift. Yes, um, I think that has taken root. And I see very positive benefits starting to see a lot more firemen come in, they have, a, I think, a good attitude when they come in. And so that's, uh, at least in big picture, what I um, have witnessed there that I think we can start to put together in if we're talking about a system or do something for medical professionals, I think that is a culture shift that number one has to be there. That starts from the top, right? It has to be right. a recognition that everybody's going to have to deal with it. It's impossible not to. I mean, it's ridiculous to think right. you're going to be 30 years doing this kind of work and it's never going to bother you. I mean, who? Exactly. <laughs> it's absurd. And you know what? And it's and it's crazy in a way because when I got into physio 14 years ago, I never thought about this. I thought about just helping people, and I never realized the impact that the that patients' experiences would also have on me and the interactions I had each and every day. Yeah, so I love that proactive approach. And I think, you know, even further than that, it can start to be introduced more at the educational level um, yeah. and raising awareness for um, healthcare workers, even at that level of what's to come or what's possible. And I think what this culture then breeds is a, this culture of we are, we're all gonna have issues at one point or another. It gets people starting to think in terms of a system that can help Mm -hmm. and a system that can support that idea, as opposed to a system that's going to identify the people who are in trouble. We're all good, but you're not. So, you know, <laughs> go, go get help over there because you can't seem to hang with it. I, I think that's just a, like you said, a toxic work environment just from the yeah. get-go uh, about how we see that. And I understand how that certainly got started. I understand why that system's in place, but let's just recognize that that's just no longer helpful. Exactly, and I think the only way we can help patients more is if we are helping ourselves and if there's support there for us as well. Another example, and this is where I'm trying to blend these, I'm, I'm actually starting my own personal battle in aviation on this okay. subject. Okay. And in aviation, we have a system, and, I, and you mentioned it's self-reporting, you mentioned it, so I think, and medically, they've tried to do this too, and, and I think this started in aviation, maybe some other industries, but it's been wildly successful, what's called the ASAP program, which is where people write up their own mistakes, and they turn mm -hmm. them in, it goes into a process, it goes into a system where you're not criminalized for this mistake, and you can write down very detailed descriptions of what happened, and so the safety system can then take very detailed data on what's going wrong, what's, what do we need work on, what needs some regulatory change, what needs some leadership change, um, et cetera. And I think everyone would agree that this system in aviation has been a success beyond their wildest dreams. Oh, wow, that's awesome, yeah. Uh, wow. In the last 10 to 15 years, and it's been almost 10 years since the crash in North America. Wow. That is kind of mind-blowing, actually. Yeah. And yeah. I credit this system as kind of the thing. I think I think people who are in aviation would say this is by far the most healthy, the most effective system that's ever been put in place. And I'm sure at the time, 
there mm-hmm. was, we had to shift from this idea of we got to get the, the evildoers, right? We got to get the people who aren't right. doing it right. We got to find them. We got to punish find them fault. for their mistakes. We got to get them for their mistakes. And that was yeah. the culture. And when you have that culture, it breeds hiding. Yes. Who's yeah. going to admit? They don't self-report. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. It just it just breeds it cover-ups and, and, you know, because yeah. it's all, well, I don't want to lose my job. And, you know, shh, you know, don't don't mention that. Let's 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 change the story here. Let's yeah. try to figure out, you know, what what the right story is to tell. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't ever get to the root cause of anything, right? From a safety perspective. And so I'm sure there were people who had a hard time shifting from that to this new system of well, we're all going to self-report. Mm-hmm. Right. There's wow. a, it's a it takes a huge conceptual it's a shift. Huge shift. Yeah. Of, of that. And and I think other industries are trying to get a hold of that idea. Um, I, I think that's been at least discussed in the medical profession as well. Tell me if I'm wrong, this sort of this idea of self-reporting, right? Um, I know that there is self-reporting, like for example, among nurses and med errors and things like that, like there's always an opportunity to learn again, back to humanizing us, right? (laughs) Um, And when you consider the big picture of staffing and resources and time and, and all of that, you know, we're apt to sometimes make errors and the the hope is that we learn from them that they're not a huge risk to patient safety because that's fundamentally what we're trying to protect and uphold but yeah like we're we're going to have to learn along the way too and i think a culture that fosters that um is you know is great but like you said it's got to be a cultural shift well i i guess i'm i mentioned this system within aviation because i think and the, and the firemen, I think this is where we all can be heading. I think there's, mm-hmm. there's something in it for everybody, I guess, is my, my point. And that is much like we can take a safety system, which is the ASAP system in aviation is, I think we can take that and put it towards this idea of self-reporting or talking about mental health stuff within your profession. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you have to work outside the system or be seen as outside the system when you have a, a mental health situation, I, I would think that the administrations and people that run hospitals, et cetera, would want to know inside their organization, what's really going on, right? right. What, what's really causing this or that, or why are we having such a absenteeism and people calling in sick and why is this going on? And, and I think this, we could turn this into a culture of just like the self-reporting system of safety, that we could turn this into a culture of I am suffering burnout, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think there could be a system there that is inclusive and gathers data and learns mm-hmm. what's stopping us from this point. What do you, what do you think is but, stopping that kind of an, an idea? That's a great question. And that's one I've been asking others <laughs> because the rates continue to rise and it, and it boggles my mind. And I think sometimes part of it is that we think it's a process issue all the time that we think it's just an inefficiency issue all of the time when really like you've touched on throughout here it's a culture issue and in order to shift the culture all parties need to be involved and it needs to to not just be on the provider it needs not just to be on administration it it, you know it needs to be collaborative and it needs to be invitational um and you know what the thing about about mental health and um, burnout and moral injury is sometimes the impacts of these hit us after the fact. So being proactive is so important in preventing those extreme circumstances from happening. And 
oftentimes we, we're just reactionary. I mean, our whole healthcare system yeah. sometimes is, right? And so I, I think it just, it's a, it's a shift that has to happen integratively at all levels um, and collaboratively in order for it to be successful. And, and I think that speaks to the integrity of the healthcare system overall. If we can take care of patients and take care of its providers, but the system was never designed for the provider's well-being in mind. It was just, <laughs> divided. Sure. It's, it was just divided to provide <laughs> care. So then we're left on the outskirts, <laughs> right? On our right. own. Again, which is absurd, right? It's right. like we're, you're, you're, a, you're a robot. You, you're somehow. Exactly. And I, <laughs> You know, we talk about leadership, there's, you know, corporate ways, you know, the lawyers get in and it's like, oh, we're, we're going to get sued for whatever if we, if we, if we admit that our, our employees mm -hmm. are suffering this uh, damage and we don't, we don't want, you know, there's, there's that I'm sure is sort of part of it. Yeah. But the other is, I, I think within healthcare, I think we've mentioned or I talked about, I have a theory that all healthcare workers gets, get just traumatized in training. You mentioned training when they're brought to psych wards and, and sort of shown like the, you know, the, the, the sort of end where it could possibly go wrong winds up in these places where people are really in their worst possible mental state. And that becomes a person's vision of a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's so I, true. Like I said, this is my theory my working theory of why I think so medical professionals shy away from this to some degree is because they're, they're shown this, hugely traumatic thing and training about here you could you could work on the the mental health ward or whatever and and many people i think are yeah. honestly frightened to death by that scene yeah and some people think that that's all there is too like right. uh, <laughs> like like the er and like yeah the mental health wards and like but there's so much more that we could be a part of and one of the things that i try to do with my students when they come on and i'm their preceptor and physio in a hospital unit when you think of the student mindset the student mindset is more about knowledge it's about competency it's about being evaluated and judged so they're thinking about whether they know something or not and one of the things that I try to do with my students is try to help them see the bigger picture and try to help them see where they can create their own space in the healthcare system, where they think they can be of most value to patients. I think that we have to support students in doing that and kind of asking what interests them, what they want to focus on, rather than just constantly being judgmental in a way. Um, and evaluating them. And I never ask a student on the spot about something scientific or something, uh, you know, competency-wise, because that's not the point. They can reference these things. We can talk about those things after the fact, but to do that in front of a patient or a family, it's, it's dehumanizing, it's it's cruel, and the impacts of that add up. And that all impacts our future generation of practitioners who are gonna ultimately be taking care of us one day. So these are the things I think about when, you know, when I have students in my practice. And I think it's good for people to explore many different areas. I came from a background of many different areas, not just one. And I think that's made me more versatile, again, connecting with the bigger picture. How I relate this, where I wish we all could go and where I think some of these professions are starting to go is to make this a inside the system discussion, you know, that, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is you would then report to your whoever it is that says, hey, I need help in this area. And you would get the help within the system. You would not be considered as an outlier. You would not be considered as, you know, as a person who can't keep up or can't do. We would right. figure out what we need around here to help people do their jobs for, to learn what's really happening mental health wise for the people in the facility. I see this in aviation too and other professions. I think at, at its heart, there's just a fear of this subject. Yeah, that, that people just when they hear the subject matter, 
they immediately cringe and see like we talked about psych wards and you know lawsuits and whatever and they just they're afraid to talk about it yeah. which is frightening how can leaders make yeah. decisions about this stuff when I think in their own heart they're sort of afraid to even mention this as a thing that somehow right. mentioning it will will cause a disease it'll cause spread it'll yeah you know we can't admit that this thing is here that is right that, and it's that in and of itself i think is the biggest barrier to this thing i don't know your yeah. thoughts on it, yeah it just depends on what how people see it i think they think that it could be perceived as having um you know clinicians and workers who are unfit when in reality i think it's the opposite i think if we we are also working on our own well-being and preserving that, that we are going to ultimately have better impacts on patient care and the patient experience. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. to, I think to avoid it kind of, like you said, um, perpetuates secrecy. It perpetuates, you know, that fear of finding fault all the time and what you're doing. We've been doing it that way for so long. I have to start questioning if that's, you know, obviously it's not working yeah. <laughs> if, if the stats are continuing to rise. For sure. And so that's, I guess, my, where I'm going um, in many professions, I think some are starting to get the idea. Uh, some, mm -hmm. I think, are still lagging. They're still in that paradigm. And it's like, it's not my problem. It's it's the other person's problem. It's their, my employee's yeah. problem. It, it just, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't stomach this system that, that sort of points down at people. Right. Or it's so um, divided. I think it's a good idea to look at what other professions are doing. And even some organizations are embodying this and to look to them as well. Like I think, you know, the Mayo Clinic, for example, um, to look to what they're doing and to learn from them. I think that's part of, of the experience is sharing what other communities are doing, what they're finding successful and passing that along. I think what's happening is we're all kind of doing it in pockets. I'm doing what I can at the provider level, like I'm touching on it, but there's so much more, right? And I think we right. just, we all have to share and not hoard um, <laughs> what, what is working. <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah. I, as you were talking, I was thinking, because you mentioned earlier about the hero idea, right? That right. Healthcare, or healthcare workers are heroes. And, and I was thinking about, you know, these other professions, aviation, uh, fire, first responders, police, there's sort of this idea that they are perfect people, right? That right. They're, they're, they have no flaws. We don't want someone mm -hmm. flying our airplanes or operating on us or, you know, whatever it is, we, we expect them that they have no flaws. Right, right. right. Absurd. Again, it's like, yeah, yeah. People <laughs> doing these things, we want them to have the best shot, the best support, whatever. And oh, by the way, you don't know they're going through a divorce. Right. You have right. no Yeah. Exactly. And so, or whatever, their child is, you know, had this or that issue. Or, I mean, there's yeah. tons of stuff that go on. Their parent is um, not doing well. Right. I think that doesn't affect people. I mean, exactly. It just, I don't know, boggles my mind. Yeah. And I mean, it's so important to have at least one trusted person in your workplace that you can have these conversations with, because I think, you know, if, you know, if a pilot is not feeling safe enough to operate, I, I would hope that they would, I would hope that they would ask for help. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that's the idea that that's kind of what I'm hoping will happen even in healthcare and, and, you know, on the front line, sometimes, you know, we are asking each other to, to help out here and there, and it's getting better, at least in my space, but someone has to start the conversation. Right. Yeah. And, it, and, it may, and it means so much more when it comes from, like you said, from higher up rather than 
rather than yeah. the, the division there, creating a division there. Yeah, I think when you're seen as working within the system, I can ask for help. I can I can say yeah. that I want some more training or would like to learn about or like you said, there's so many more things involved in just uh, keeping yourself up mentally that when we stay outside the system or say raise your hand when you can't take it anymore, I don't think that's helpful. Why I had, I don't know right. if you were aware, I had um, 10 years ago, almost coming up now as my anniversary, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, right? Didn't know a guy could get breast cancer. Yeah. And at the time, I don't think breast cancer patients were really told you probably, this is probably going to mentally take a toll on you. It wasn't even mentioned by the providers. It was, you know, get whatever operation you need, it's physical, whatever, you know, yeah. chemo, uh, you know, whatever it is, but no one ever mentioned that, Hey, maybe if you're frightened and you don't mm -hmm. sleep well at night and you know, all this kind of stuff, that it's probably not going to give you good outcomes. Right. I right. mean, I think we're getting in that direction now. I think we're sort of going that way, but I, so. um, I you know, it's, it's the same idea. It's like, we have to admit that things scare people, that right. things freak people out and it has impact on everything. And I don't know why we still hold on to this, this idea that, well, those are just the weak people, or those are just the, the, the outliers that we can all sort of do this and um that that culture that idea i think is damaging everywhere yeah in my opinion they're the strongest leaders they're the ones we need to learn from and i think that um people who are accepting of this and having these conversations or going through something are the ones who can best empathize you know the provider who is speaking about this stuff will be the one to say to you so how is your mood how are you coping and have those conversations even though if they're hard approach it with compassion approach it with empathy and be present i think it's being an integrity to to yourself and your practice sort of wrapping up the show here is what can we do you know now we've built this kind of horror show of <laughs> what's going on um, there's a lot of things going right but i think this is certainly an area that we can do better in all professions i think we've got to get a grip on this area and i think we're starting to but i think we're still a long way off um, if you're a healthcare worker today, you sort of mentioned one, it's like, is trying to connect with people. Again, that's, there can be that fear of doing that, a fear of admitting, mm -hmm. a fear of talking. So certainly yeah. reaching out or connecting or being involved in these discussions, I would say is, is certainly helpful. Like you have on your podcast, trying to just raise awareness of this thing. And hopefully these discussions get people to see that they're not the only one, that I'm not the one who's got to sort of keep it to myself. I can't admit that I'm having these kind of problems because that just breeds more anxiety. It just, it's just more, it's right. so detrimental to think you're the one, you're the only one, you're the outlier. That's not a healthy place no, for, right. for any of this stuff. The other thing I would say too, is I have been trained recently in some new trauma therapies that I mentioned on my show, the last couple of shows, accelerated resolution therapy is the one specifically I have in mind. We can change a lot of this very quickly. We can change trauma stories in people very quickly now that we couldn't do uh, just a few years ago. I mean, we're making huge strides in, in trauma therapies. I think the reality of how well we can do this now is actually caught up with people's expectations. I think there is also, we talked about the fear inside of corporate leaders about, well, if you have this, you're sort of broken, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're now you're no longer trusted, you know, whatever. There is that belief out there that this is that mental health is all a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's oh my goodness. <laughs> 
waste of time. You're going to come in and talk about your feelings and you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now I think we have so many more tools and so many more therapies that can actually shock. I mean, it shocks people when, when I do these new trauma therapies. Now they walk in, walk out one session, have a complete change of heart about a situation that's wow. pretty dramatic. And wow, I don't think that people is. realize how impactful these, these newer therapies are and that we can actually do something for the healthcare worker, for the firemen, the EMS, the, the cop, the military, all over the place, we can change the, what I call the movie in people's minds about mm -hmm. what they see when, when they're given a situation. We can make such an impact on that quickly. Mm -hmm. I just can't encourage enough people to seek out these resources and go see a, a mental health professional that they can bond with to take care of this stuff because it is so treatable. I right. just want people to understand this is so treatable. Um, yeah. Thoughts on that? I mean, I, I don't know people's perception. Yeah, I just, I think, you know, kind of like what we touched on in the beginning in terms of the stigma, right? It's, it's really just putting yourself before the stigma and doing it for you. A lot of clinicians just fear lack of confidentiality. They don't want a paper trail, like things like that. And it's resorting to people literally getting treatment on the down low, right? Where, <laughs> where like nothing is documented, like it's very right. minimal. They're getting prescription meds from people just who they know, other physicians who they know, uh, you know what I mean? So these are things that, that are still very much happening. Which you know, does not happen in a healthy system, right? Right, but, but if it's just described, right, that, that because shouldn't be happening. No, it shouldn't be happening. And I think the system needs to be more invitational because I think when people are suffering on the inside, they're not, they're sometimes not so likely to reach out, even though you say, you know, reach out. And we, you know, you might say you have right. these resources available, like peer support and, and things like that, but somebody has to literally maybe take someone by the hand and say, you know, are you really okay? Or, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about this and then literally guide them to the next service provider without judgment, you know, with promise that nothing is going to taint the reputation, right? Like we, we need to have those things in place, um, for a provider to truly feel that they can trust the system in, in taking care of them, right? So, well, the good I, news is, like I said, I think there are some professions that are starting to lean forward on this, and so we can gather more and more data on what this mm -hmm. looks like, and and for other professions to step back and go, well, they're not that different than we are. Well, right. Why can't we do something like this? I mean, do you think a firefighter wants to admit that they have an issue like this? Don't you think uh, that frightens them to death mm -hmm. to think that? admitting something like this would be a detriment to what their fellow firefighters are thinking of them, or can they hack it? You know, all that, all that old garbage that, mm -hmm. that people have been sort of told they're finding a way to start to break through this. And if they can, why can't the rest of us, honestly? Right. Um, and so there's, I think there's hope there's, there's some promise out there that there are better ways to do this, that we can work collectively and work within the system to treat people as they are, which they are people. They're not robots. They're not, you know, mm -hmm. the hero machines sort of that you described earlier, um, yeah. recognize that they have their own, their own issues that they're working on. So if you're out there listening, you're a, a healthcare worker or anybody, I mean, these kinds of things can be treated. They can be helped it's a shame that it's not more within the system, but I, I see a day coming when it is more within the system. And I think 
it's just a matter of time before we get people to see that having a system that people can work within inside their profession and eliminate this fear that I'm going to be pointed out as the one. And oh, by the way, I'm sort of broken now. Those are old ideas that I think no longer fit. And hopefully we can get people to see that. So like you said, we've got to change that paradigm, right? Right. Well, um, this has been fun. Anything else you would add on yeah. just this idea of what we've mentioned? I mean, I don't have all the answers. I, you know, I'm speaking from my own experiences and from those that I've interviewed over the last couple of years and those who I worked alongside. If we can just all be on the same page, be a little compassionate more with ourselves through this process and also with one another, we can start to make changes. And I think that it's important to find help and to seek help until you until you get the help that you need. Because um, with the waves that we're riding in healthcare right now, emotionally and physically and all of that, uh, it's very reasonable right now to experience degrees of burnout, moral injury, and also mental health side effects from all of that. Yeah, well, hopefully, like you said, we can sort of start our own little campaign where yeah. we can <laughs> to get people to see that this is an idea, I think, that would benefit everybody. So before we wrap up, anything you would like to add on where folks can find you, what's coming up? So if you um, go to my website, jennifergeorge.co, all of that will be there. I'm, I'm working on um, actually having a debriefing with healthcare providers online. And this is something that I just want to start doing where healthcare providers can come together, just share maybe an experience that they went through, whether it was a patient care experience, obviously confidential, or an impact in, in healthcare that they experienced that they want to just talk about and power one another and support one another. So that's on Thursday, April 28th. And there is a sign up on the engagement section on my website if you want to check that out. Okay. Any yeah. uh, social media stuff you got? Um, yeah. So on Instagram, that's where I'm most present. My handle's at best obsessed with Jen. And that's also like, you can connect all to it from my website as well. And LinkedIn, I'm on there as well. And Facebook and Twitter. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you. It's been fun. Likewise. Thank, thank you for, for being here. Thank you for having me and for having this conversation on your podcast. I appreciate yeah. it. You yeah. bet. And we'll talk about this and many others on Counselors Can Help. Our mission is to spread the word that counselors can help. We want to teach you how to get started and get the most out of therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a professional in your area to help yourself or a loved one. Thank you to Kelsey Fink, our production assistant and chief of technology and social media. Thanks to Aspire Counseling at AspireUT.com for their support. If you want to know more about how counselors can help, go to counselorscanhelp.com. We have lots of resources, information, and we update it all the time. We'll see you next time on Counselors Can Help, a production of Merge Publishing.